Chris also helps to serve the firefighter community through Devote December and Spring for Change. Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. And on this week's episode, guys, I'm really happy to sit down and chat to Lieutenant Chris Morella. Chris's career in the fire service began in 2003 as a part-time paid on-call firefighter and EMT for a combination department in the western suburbs of Chicago. Over the next five years, Chris completed his paramedic certification and worked in several departments as a paid on-call contract paramedic and full-time firefighter. In 2008, Chris moved to his current fire department in the suburbs of Chicago, working alongside 138 fire personnel across seven stations serving a community of 130,000 residents. Growing up, Chris was a multi-sport athlete with a main focus on hockey. This passion for sport and fitness led to Chris achieving his NSAA CPT qualification in 2012, and Chris is the owner of Fourth Shift Fitness, a company he started to positively impact the fire service through education and training via in-station and hands-on seminars. His goal is to reach as many departments and individuals as possible to inspire, educate, or coach through their fitness journey, which he created with an ETSAP of Fire SQ Fitness to shine a spotlight and provide support for firefighter and dispatcher suicides. In this episode, Chris talks about setting up an incentive-based fitness program for the fire department, his thoughts on submaximal training and how it can help firefighters sustain performance throughout a long career, and his work as part of Devote December and Spring for Change, which brings awareness for firefighters and dispatchers suicide, as well as providing information and tools for those in need. Good afternoon, Chris, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me on. How are you? I'm very good, Chris. I'm very good, mate. Um, once again, thank you for taking time out of your day to come and chat to me, mate. Um, you know, big fan of your work. First of all, chatting in season one to uh, your good friend and colleague, Annette Zapp. And then, you know, started to see some more of the stuff of the work you were putting out there, especially around uh, Devote December and, you know, your Spring for Change stuff as well, which we will get into a little bit later. But yeah, I've been really, really keen looking at some of your stuff and it's really resonated with me. So I was just like, yeah, definitely want to get you on and have a chat to you in a bit more detail. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Annette has been really, uh, she's done a fantastic job getting out and done a ton of podcasts. And um, every single time she goes on, she's just so well organized and has all the facts and figures and it makes me very happy that she's the primary point of contact for our devote december and spring for change because then i start like jotting stuff down while she's getting interviewed like oh yeah i forgot about that of our own program so yeah she does a fantastic job um and i'm really happy that she agreed to do these things with me it makes my 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 job and my life a lot easier definitely definitely she's awesome um, obviously, I've had the opportunity now, Chris, to chat to you back and forth quite a bit, mate, and you know, hear your story. But for anyone who hasn't come across you and the work you've done, um, you know, within the charity side of things, but also with regards to your own business, and that, can you just tell us, you know, just where your career started out and where you're currently at? Yeah, I started uh, pretty early. My brother was actually seven years older than me, and when so when I was in uh, middle school and high school, he was kind of looking at the fire department as a career path. So. When I graduated high school, I had already been involved with it and around it. Uh, I was actually part of the Explorer program in the small part-time department he was in. So I went from high school, got sponsored by that small department, and then was in the academy just within the same year, I think, of graduating. And then since then, uh, I did part-time, paid-on-call, contract medic work. I worked for a critical care company for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally got hired full-time in 2008 and I've been with my full-time department now since then I recently got promoted to lieutenant after about 12 years so that was a nice uh, nice little thing nice accomplishment to, to kind of look back on and have and then in 2017 I started 
uh, my company Fourth Shift Fitness, and that has been a real, a real fun time. I've been able to get out to a lot of departments and just kind of give general wellness and fitness stuff, and then all the way down to picking up some clients off of that, where I get to run their programs and keep them healthy and and in the fight, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a few years ago, Annette and I got hooked up through the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Symposium. Uh, we were both presenting there. And then the following year we presented together and then we started doing Devote December and Spring for Change. Uh, and then that kind of brings us up to present day. Um, I started my podcast, Tailboard Talk, a four shift fit cast just, just this year earlier. And I've been really having a lot, of, a lot of fun with that. I've got to talk to some pretty amazing people and it's given me a nice platform aside from like the Instagram and YouTube stuff where I can kind of ramble a little bit more. Uh, I can kind of get into longer conversations with people and really dissect the stuff instead of trying to squeeze a million things in like a two minute uh, Instagram clip or a YouTube video. So I, I like it a lot and I, I hope it sticks around for a long time. Thank you very much for that, bud. And I mean, I think 2020 has been the uh, the year for, you know, promoting and getting podcasts up the gr- off the ground, you know, and getting them out there. And obviously I've listened to a number of your shows and I want to deep dive into some of those topics you've already covered in your show a little bit more as well, mate. Um, you mentioned there about your brother being in the fire service as well you know, seven years older than you, was it your interest within the fire service purely through him? Like when he started getting interested and then it sparked that interest in you as well, or was it always something both you guys had as kids? No, I'm actually not uh, entirely positive how he got hooked up with it. Um, but yeah, my interest was solely because of that. I actually remember when I was in like in grade school, uh, the, the fire department came around and they were showing off everything and I could not care less about it. Like I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, and, and I never thought about it twice. And then when my brother Joe got involved with it, it was, it was really just an extension of the team and him and I had always grown up playing hockey and sports. And so to see another extension of that team was a really cool thing. And, uh, the department that he got started with was, was a really tight knit family, a really tight knit group. And that was amazing. So that kind of drew me in. And then I just, I developed a liking for it and, uh, an ability to it. And I just kind of kept that going. And actually, I know I said he started out at that department. He actually, we work for the same department now and he's a captain and I'm a lieutenant. So it's kind of a cool thing that uh, we eventually found each other again on the same department. He's got obviously a few more years on than me, but uh, sometimes it's really cool and sometimes it's not as cool, but it's something that not many families can say they have. No, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. And obviously with your your business you know uh four shift fitness and you've got some of the private work out of that as well has fitness always been like a thing for you you mentioned there about playing hockey were you always involved within sport and fitness growing up then yeah my entire family was to be honest i mean my dad was in the marines he went to vietnam and came back and continued his his discipline with all of his fitness and all of his training uh to, till now and mm-hmm. uh, my mother also she was a aerobics instructor for I think 24 or 25 years uh, in like a, a privately owned gym, like a Bally's, but it was just a uh, NRC that we grew up in. And she did everything. She did spin and step and water aerobics and the slide thing and uh, uh, just everything you can think of. And so that's kind of where I grew up was in that environment because they also had daycare there. And then as I got older, they had camps there and, and all kinds of stuff. So after school or uh, when I wasn't going to school, I would be there. And so I grew up in that environment around the, uh, you know, the 1990s meatheads upstairs, dropping weights with the, the Zubas on and stuff like that. And then had some really, really excellent coaches in high school and playing junior hockey. So I had some amazing strength coaches there. 
And so, yeah, just kind of always was there and I always had an interest in it. And then as I got kind of through sports and done playing hockey, I really realized that I enjoyed training people and educating people more than I enjoyed competing and, and getting dirty myself. So then I was able to kind of transfer that some years later to a coaching job mm -hmm. at a local gym here that one of the guys from my station or my department actually owns. He started in 2012. So I worked for him for a number of years and just kept it going. And then, uh, yeah, 2017 was kind of the natural progression of that where it was time for me to try to start my own thing. You mentioned there about uh, playing hockey as a kid. Was hockey like your, your first love? And did, were you just a single sport athlete? Did you do multi-sport as a kid? No, me and my brother did uh, almost anything that had a jersey or a team or a roster. I mean, we just did everything. And then obviously we narrowed down when it came to like the high school age stuff. But even in high school, I tried everything almost. Um, I think I was three sports for a number of years. But hockey was always the thing that we started earliest. My dad had played hockey recreationally. And so it was always kind of there. And my brother actually always gets on me about it. He was he was far more passionate and far more um, committed. He would go to camps. He would just, it was his whole life, you know, and he always kind of gives me, gives me grief for it because he would, cared about it more, but I was naturally better at it. And so I could just kind of go do stuff that he had to work day in and day out at. And so we had a nice little rivalry though, because he would always, always joke too, that if he caught me in the corners, like that was his, that was his office was behind the net and in the corners. So <laughs> Uh, we both had to work equally as hard at that, but, but yeah, that was kind of what, uh, that was our primary sport growing up. And then definitely in the high school and after high school years, it was pretty much that. Now with regards to the, the fitness side of things and that obviously in the, the fire service, it's got a lot of uh, press and like, you know, it's getting a big push for guys because it's physically demanding job. Um, now I know from listening to your own podcast and that as well, you've mentioned about you know, implementing and designing the fitness program within the department you're at. So can you just tell us a little bit more around that? Because I know you had the, the incentives-based uh, program within it. So where did the idea come from around this? That's actually uh, a really new thing. I mean, this is the first time. So we've had fitness programs in the past for people who have been injured or are coming back to work or identified as like a higher risk potential. If they're willing to do it voluntarily, we can, we can help them with our peer fitness trainers. But the incentivized thing was really just this year. Uh, it came because our union's in a good spot with their funds. Um, and they kind of said, hey, we're, we're finally in a, a sustainable position. And we were going through the COVID thing. And uh, it, it's just been a rough time, obviously, for everybody. So I pitched it to them as kind of, a, kind of a morale booster and kind of a thank you to guys who are willing to work uh, during COVID, during this whole thing, or who, whoever's willing to pick up an exercise regimen during this thing de deserves to be rewarded for it. So I basically said, hey, can we run a month-long uh, incentivized program where, and we'll basically run it like a Chuck E. Cheese thing where we'll just count cardio equipment because it's the easiest thing to track. And over the course of the month, guys can accumulate points by doing cardio. And at the end of the month, we can offer the ability for them to buy something basically with their points. Um, and the union was in favor for it. They, they had really no hesitation on it. Uh, the department endorsed it, which is what we have to do because the union can endorse it or can fund or support anything they want. But the department has to say, yes, you can use our stations and our equipment to do this thing. So that was awesome. 
And then from the physical fitness committee side, it was pretty easy because we've been looking to get something involved here for a while. And this was a great opportunity. So we did it. We came up with a couple levels of prizes. We came up with a, a point and grading system for each piece of cardio equipment we have at the stations. And over the course of a month, we, we had some pretty awesome results of it. So we have about 136 people on our department, uh, about 130 line personnel. And it may not sound like a ton, but we actually had just under 30 people engage in, and participate in it, which, which I think is phenomenal. I couldn't be happier with it. You know, I, I thought like maybe 10 or 12, not only because of the circumstance, but because a lot of guys have their own routine or a lot of guys just didn't, weren't really impressed by the prizes we were able to offer them. Mm -hmm. uh, but to have just under 30 people do it was just fantastic. And I think we, we ordered just under, just under 70 or so prizes. So it means most people did enough to get multiple things. Um, so it was really successful and I was really happy with it. We're definitely going to look at running again, but it was something more or less just to get anything going. And, uh, it started as like an incentive thing of, Hey, maybe we can attract some people to do some fitness stuff. But what it turned into by the time we were ready to launch, it was more like, Hey, if someone's willing to put in the work during this crazy time, they deserve a reward. And so we're going to give them a pat on the back in the form of a water bottle or a t-shirt or a hat or something, nothing crazy, you know, but just a little thanks for your effort and keep going kind of thing. And so I, I think it went awesome and uh, we're definitely looking forward to doing it again. Um, that's awesome. That's a great idea to have that and put that in place for the guys. So let's just dive a, a bit deeper into that then. So you're saying you set up mostly for the, the cardiovascular side of things. So it was easier to track. So what were the metrics around that? How did you track it and how did you score it? We did, we, it started very arbitrarily. You know, we sat down and said, um, how hard is it to walk a mile and how hard is it to bike a mile and how hard is it, how many stair, flights of stairs should equate one point. And we kind of tinkered around with it a little bit. We had uh, a couple of triathletes on our department who said, you know, the Ironman was set up basically the swim bike run to all be equally as difficult. And that just shows you the variance in distance you need to equate those three together, that, that kind of stuff. So we went back and forth on it. And uh, at a certain point, we just had to commit. And so we had to decide that, um, you know, biking two miles equals a point, whereas running 0.6 of a mile equals, equals a point. And we just had to come up with those. And, and then at a point, certain point, we had to stick to them. And I think we adjusted them one time for the elliptical. I think we, we ended up asking for more effort on the elliptical than we had originally um, to equal one point. But Overall, everybody seemed pretty cool with it, and uh, there were very few people that that uh, were angry at the point values we gave. So from there, one of the guys that I work with is very good at Excel, and he simply set up each cell to be uh, multiplied by a certain factor. Um, we would have people send us their totals every week with photo evidence of what they did just for um, either the sake of going back and tracking it or as confirmation, and then we sent out the sheet to each individual each individual person, they entered it and kept the totals themselves and sent those sheets at the end. And then, uh, and then we saw what we had. So, um, the setup of it was thankfully easier than it could have been because I had that guy that's good at Excel and I had a couple of guys that were very good at numbers and I was able to just push my ideas on them. Mm -hmm. uh, but then after that, it was, it was just smooth running, you know? Nice. And for, the guys sent in photos, was it literally just a case of like, you know, a photo of the, the console on the elliptical or like, you know, uh, 
a route or something on Strava or whatever app they were using? Was that what they would just send you? Yeah, essentially anything. Anything they could document with photograph. We had guys send us their weekly Strava totals. You guys, you can print out like an audit of your week. Uh, yeah, we had a bunch of people just snap pictures with their phone and just email them. Mm-hmm. You know, we set up one email under the union, uh, the, under the general union address that everybody would send their stuff to. And that was one of the struggles was we would get guys like texting us the pictures or, or sending them to our personal email. And so, you know, naturally we helped them out and we did it a few times, but after a while, it's like, no, we have this system, please just email it because inevitably at the end, what happened was somebody couldn't find like 25 or 30 of their points. And so we had to scour four different modes of submission to, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to find them. And so it was just easier to streamline it, set the rules and stick to the plan. But uh, yeah, anything, any kind of evidence, basically, that you did what you did is what we're looking for. We're not looking to jam anybody up, but we need to be able to look back and keep this thing above board. Nice, man. Nice. And with, obviously, you said that the union signed off and the department signed off and they were happy to go with it now. Was there any barriers you guys encountered, you know, trying to get the south and getting it running? The, I would say the biggest barrier was actually... And I shouldn't even call it a barrier. One of the one of the things we had to figure out was that since we were using union money to to buy the prizes and to fund it, basically, the products and the prizes had to be made in America and they had to be union labor, and that puts a, a pretty hefty set of constraints on your purchasing power because there's just not a ton of vendors out there that were either offering things that we wanted um, or that were even operational because a ton of facilities transition to making PPE and, and protect, protective clothing and whatever else their, their factory could be used for to help out during the pandemic. So we weren't exactly able to get like the really cool flex fit hats with the custom embroidery on it. You know, we couldn't just go grab an Under Armour shirt and put our logo on it. We couldn't get um, a Yeti mug or, you know, any kind of name brand stuff we had to go search out from very specific vendors find stuff that met the constraints of the union apparel stuff and then go with that. And we did, we found, I mean, we found plenty of good stuff. It was just a, a matter of finding things that people would want to care enough to bike a hundred miles in the month to get, <laughs> to get a sweatshirt, you know? So that was one of the, the um, constraints we had to work around. Besides that though, I learned pretty early on that if somebody's going to do it, they're going to do it. And if they're not, they're not. And uh, the sooner we understood that and treated it as an incentive or treat it as a reward rather than like trying to sell an incentive. That was a huge hurdle that we mentally crossed. And um, in the beginning, we were trying to sell it a little too much. We were trying to, to lure people in or, or kind of leverage them. And I would send out like, hey, we're halfway through the month. If you do this much per day, you can still get the, the travel mug. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's ineffective. Uh, instead, just put it out there, encourage and support the people that are doing it, and then reward them at the end. And then that, those are the people that, uh, believe in it and that you want to reward not the people you have to drag along and basically leverage fitness against that'll that that's never going to be effective now that you've run it through you know fully the program um what's what's the key lessons you guys have learned from this process and you know what what's the next steps you know what changes are you going to make going forward we're kind of figuring that out now i mean uh, we would love to figure out some way we, we always want it to be a union event because i really appreciate them saying yes to it. I mean, that's, they gave the opportunity to make it happen. So I always want it to be a union event. The trick is figuring out how to do that 
and also possibly incorporate outside funds so we can open up our purchasing a little bit and maybe have better prizes or better things to reward people with for their efforts. Um, some people ask us to do it twice a year, like a spring thing and a fall thing or a spring thing and a winter thing, which I'm not against, but I don't want to dilute it too much. So there's a lot of things that we're going to kind of play around with. And uh, it's definitely going to run again. We just got to figure out how we're going to do it. I guess another thing is we do want to figure out some way to, to quantify other things besides cardio. So we have several people that do fitness classes or group classes or kettlebell stuff or CrossFit stuff. And they absolutely deserve to be rewarded for that. We just got to figure out a way to quantify those points and then have it be kind of in line with everything else. So that's, that's another big project we're going to try to work on for the next time we run it. That's cool, Chris. And I mean, I think anyone listening right now, hopefully it sparks some, you know, discussions and thought about like, right, that sounds like a great idea. How could we implement that in our own department or something, you know, get something similar running. I want to chat to you a little bit, Chris, about, I don't know which podcast episode it was, maybe episode five of your podcast where you're talking about the use of submaximal training and how you've gone into this more and more. Uh, it really resonated with me, especially in today's uh, day and age where everyone's just like, no, it's, it's high intensity or nothing. You know, like you don't have time anymore. Apparently you've got barely enough time to get a four minute workout in. So you've got to stick with high intensity. Yeah, it's a movement, man. And uh, it, it carries some fantastic benefits to it without mm -hmm. a doubt. I mean, it's the old CrossFit argument, right? That that style of working out has some absolutely tremendous benefits. It, it is amazing for community. It is amazing for learning intensity. It is amazing for uh, fitness gains, quite honestly but it certainly lacks in a number of key areas that are really, really, really important for first responders. And uh, yeah, I think it was episode five where it kind of listed out about 20 or 25 minutes of both those things, you know, and uh, what it really came down to was a few main points of why I think submaximal training as a primary training method is far more productive and far more beneficial. Um, the first one being there's overall, Generic, generally speaking, there's overall lower risk of injury with submaximal training. Um, you're not working yourself to exhaustion necessarily. Uh, the style of the high intensity training and the CrossFit ish style is more, not even like moderate weights, but heavier weights uh, with speed until exhaustion. And, and when you train that way, no matter your training age or your, your ability, you're just more prone for injury. And that's okay if you choose to train like that, but you have to know the risks going into it, especially when you got to go to work the next day. Yeah. Uh, I think the mentality comes with that stuff also is a little bit, a little bit of a minefield. Uh, I love it. I love the intense mentality, you know, growing up playing sports, you had to get into that mentality, but a fire ground is, is not that it's uh, it has some of the contact that sports do. And it has a lot of the physical demands that sports do, but also carries a much, much higher mental demand. You have to be able to solve problems while also at a near maximal level. And working at that submaximal level gives you the tools to do that. It doesn't necessarily shut off your brain. It doesn't just blind you and tell you to put your head down and grind. Uh, it lets you keep a little bit of your wits above you, about you. And it makes you control your breathing far more effectively than maximal training. And those are all things I kind of outlined, but that's what it really comes down to is the mentality behind high intensity training versus submaximal training. Uh, the submaximal training method just produces a mentality and uses a mentality that's much more transferable mm -hmm. to firefighting or EMS scenes, and especially more transferable to a 30-year career. 
Uh, we're not playing three or four seasons in the NFL and getting out. You know, we're here for 30 years and you got to be able to train in a way that is conducive to literally being that guy dragging hose for 30 years. You know, that might be your position. It's not like you get to age out and go retire. If you're working and you have 30 years on and you're 57 years old, you might have to drag hose or pull people or lift people just like everyone else. So you have to train in a way that gets you to that mark. Definitely, dude. Definitely. I think there's all the place for it. Like, I say with high intensity stuff, you know, there's some benefits to it. And I think it's got its place in any program. It, you know, it's not about being on one end of the scale and the other. It's just like, you know, how do you combine both for not only all the performance effects, but also, you know, that training longevity, as you mentioned there as well. Like if you're doing things for 30 years, it's no point being, you know, an all-star athlete and then getting crushed, um, you know, after five, 10 years of training and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's definitely got its part in there. So, for well, the, me, sorry, Chris. Yep. Yeah, and the, and the range of the submaximal range is, is huge. I mean, I think a lot of people maybe get turned off to it because they, they view it as, I mean, the name is submaximal, like, mm-hmm. which means that you're not trying very hard in some people's head, right? But the range, depending on which scale you use, is like 70 to 90%. And 90% of your max heart rate is not like easy. So mm-hmm. uh, you can definitely have the opinion of submaximal means less than difficult. But if you really look at the numbers and you actually track what your heart rate is while you're doing stuff, um, submaximal can be just, just difficult. It can be very difficult. It can be really hard to keep up for 20 minutes if you're anywhere close to that 85, 90% of your max heart rate range mm-hmm. and nearly impossible to keep up for 30, 40 minutes if you're actually in that zone. But I think just the name of it may turn a lot of people off because they figure, you know, you're just going for a walk in the park. But uh, yeah. the range of it, really carries some some high demand if you're doing it correctly definitely definitely mate. and i'd say on that as well even on the conditioning sites i know you know guys there's a lot of popularity of doing like tempo or you know like pace set runs as well which are really good rather than just the long continuous running um but i think there's still some benefit within that longer duration stuff even from the mental side of things it's like it's one thing to be able to blow out completely you know even on stuff that are like six minutes seven minutes in length on those tempo runs but, you know, if you've got something that's lasting, you know, continuously for an hour or two, it's a different mentality entirely just to keep trudging along. But God, I really want to quit at this point. You know? so. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a whole nother confidence that comes with it. You know, I mean, that's the deep water yeah. that uh, any fight you watch that one person is always trying to pull the other one into deep water. And that's mm-hmm. the later rounds, you know, and that's the fourth quarter in football. That's the third period of overtime in hockey. That's the stuff that's going to make the difference. So it's it's phenomenal if you can be an all star for four to six minutes and that's great but on any given fire call you may be pulled into deep water and you need to have uh, two bottles worth of capacity and you plus some work before and after and if you can't do that you know you may look cool for four six minutes and then like a weirdo on the lawn gasping for air but that's not the game we're playing you know yeah. we, we need you to be able to survive in deep water and having the confidence to know that you can operate at a, a relatively high heart rate for more than more than you need to or longer than you want to is really a, a much larger benefit than, than being able to be a crazy person for, for six minutes. Definitely. Definitely. Did. So on that then, Chris, like how, how's your training look like at the moment? How do you structure your own training around like all your shift work and everything else you've got going on? It's tough, man. It's fragmented. I try to, uh, it, it, thankfully, naturally the way that uh, I kind of came up training at the gym and the, the kind of training I enjoy doing naturally falls in the submaximal range. I don't, I hardly do any maximal stuff anymore. 
um, either because I'm tired of coming off shift or, um, you know, sometimes I just don't want to. There's a lot of just, I'm just mentally tired. This past year has been mentally draining. And I just know that uh, it puts me at a higher risk to really dig in and go for it sometimes. And I, I actually find more of a challenge now of, of getting on the airdyne for 25 or 30 minutes or breaking 10 miles on the airdyne or stand on the stairmaster for 45 minutes at a higher pace you know that carries more of a enjoyment factor for me necessarily than getting crushed by a bar or ripping mm-hmm. a, ripping a 300 pound deadlift off, lift off the ground which isn't impressive but um yeah that stuff is is far more appealing to me these days and luckily that's a little bit easier to do Cause if you have the equipment, like we have the equipment at the stations, uh, I have some equipment at home, you can do that. Uh, but my training these days is difficult. Uh, I've, I've toyed with the idea. I know Annette, we talked about her before. Annette farms out her training and follows a, a coach's program. And I've always liked writing my own programs and I've always liked kind of just being intuitive and going for it when I can and pulling back when I can't. But this is the first time I've actually thought about kind of farming it out and running with someone else's program because I just don't have the uh, mental capacity for it this year. I'm really, really kind of beat up. So, um, but when I do train it, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big two or two and a half hour in the gym kind of guy. I'll get in. It's a, a seven to 10 movement prep kind of thing. And then two or three complexes that are three or four movements each, uh, usually a heavy one to start a moderate and faster one in the middle, and then some kind of either blowout or, uh, faster cardio at the end. And then I'm out of there. Got to get back up out of the basement and or out of the garage and, and go be a dad and clean the house and get ready for tomorrow. So, yeah. uh, that's the kind of style of training I like to do. And, um, that's the kind of style I, I train or I program for my clients, but yeah, this past year has really, really made me look at kind of farming it out and following someone else's programs, nothing else just for the, some of the accountability, but more of just the set it and forget it send me what i'm doing i'm gonna knock it out and we'll we'll look forward to tomorrow kind of thing you know definitely i've i i can say wholeheartedly i've felt the same as well mate like you know i've done all my own programming for years and years and at some points i've been like that as well it's just like you know after especially from like the string edition standpoint it's like after you've written you know uh, 15 20 programs for different athletes you're just like oh do i really want to sit down and write out my own at this <laughs> point in time you know so but I, I think I've got a very much similar style to you as well, Chris. Like I quite like the complex of training now as well. So just being able to squeeze that much training density into a short period of time and just keep yourself moving. So even though my longer conditioning days are still in there, I still got a good conditioning effect from just constantly moving, just varied up what my movement type is as well. And just, yeah, I think as I get a little bit older as well, just a bit more like body weight and gymnastics work, I'm starting to enjoy a bit more. It doesn't beat me up as much as the heavy bar does anymore. Yeah, I mean, there, and there's ways to, there's there's always new tools after you kind of step out of the rut you've been stuck in. And um, I've always been a big fan of TRX, you know, that the kind of suspension trainer has always been a staple. I've always been a fan of kettlebells and, and the abilities to kind of do different things with those. But then, you look at a barbell and you're like, good God, like, how is this going to be different? And then just the past, I think like two years, I really started getting into the landmine attachment with mm-hmm. the barbell. And man, that is just a game changer. I mean, from everything from squats to overhead presses to anything you can think of, it, it just is so much more friendly to me. And I appreciate that where, uh, you know, I'm not really judging myself or 
not really concerned about maybe the number of plates on the bar anymore or how much I'm lifting compared to others, but the ability to press overhead with what feels like a significant amount of weight with no pain, the ability to do a deadlift with a little bit different position on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just found an incredible value in that landmine attachment. So um, those are just things that, yeah, as we get older, you may not have looked at it twice before, you know, you're, you're married to the barbell and you love the big three, but uh, those things definitely get a lot more attractive as you uh, get a couple of dings and, and a couple of dents in you and you got to keep moving forward, you know? Definitely, man. Definitely preaching to the choir over here, Chris. Um, yeah. Oh, with you on that. Now I really want to chat to you a little bit, Chris. Um, very much aware right in the middle of Devote December. Uh, obviously, this podcast episode will be going out in January 2021. But can you just talk to us a little bit about, you know, Devote December in um, what we're going through right now and obviously Spring for Change as well. How did this come about and how do you get tied up with Annette on these? Uh, I bamboozled her, man. I roped her in uh, with all kinds of promises of lavish living and, and fame and, and uh, delivered none of it so far. So we're doing good. But... Uh, it really came about because, about because we were presenting at the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Symposium, um, and she was she's one of the few people that I've seen in the area that uh, is also a strength coach and firefighter. And there's a handful of them around us, but most people don't have the education or the training of clients' history or worked in a professional setting. Um, a lot of people are just fitness enthusiasts and also firemen and that those are two vastly different things. You know, it's the same thing as fitness in general. You can be a fitness enthusiast or you can be a fantastic coach. And when it comes to the fire department, there's a lot of fitness enthusiasts, uh, and there's not many actual coaches. And so I was looking at her bio and I just shot her a message, uh, kind of recognizing that she was one of the few that I've seen with, with both being a coach and a firefighter. And uh, kind of just hit it off. You know, we, we started talking. We had a lot of the same ideas about training, a lot of the same methods, a lot of the same outlooks on the fire service in general and fitness. And we just kind of became friends. And so we both presented at the peer support symposium. And then a couple months later, I've been kind of chirping at her just kind of constantly about, you know, let's do something in the future. I think there's potential, you know, we got, we can team up and she's always been for it. You know, she's a big fan of saying, collaboration over competition and so one day we were just rapping about it and we decided that we could do more you know and it was November and I came up with the idea of devote December kind of as kind of putting a bow on the year and we would look back and recognize and and respect the firefighters and EMS that had taken their lives and try to use that number to gain more awareness and so there's another another organization in Illinois called the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. And they reach out to suspected suicide cases and essentially investigate and confirm that it was in fact suicide or it was something else. And if it was in fact suicide, they they add that number to the total and they track fire and they track EMS. And they just recently this year started tracking uh, like dispatch or communication specialists. So we started using that number in December. And what we came up with was each day in December, we would look up that number and it's updated as they get confirmed so or verified. So it's not necessarily like real time. So if you see something on the news or a story or hear a story of someone committing suicide, it's not like this afternoon it'll be on the, the website. It has to go through his, his verification process. So we decided that we would every day look up that number and then do something using that number 
that brought that number to life and paid tribute to those people who had taken their lives. And that would be a way to build an awareness campaign that people could see, they could see action and also get the idea that something terrible was happening in the fire service. Because for the past at least five or six years, firefighter and EMS suicides have, have substantially outpaced line of duty deaths. I mean, by, by 30 or 40. And so we started doing it every single day. We would post something, whether it was, I think last year we started at like 116 on December 1st and it would be 116 squats or 116 push-ups or kettlebell swings. And then we branched out. We said it can be 116 seconds of meditation. It can be a hundred, it can be one minute, 16 seconds of writing, uh, writing gratitude or writing mindfulness practice, really anything, anything that brought that number to life to recognize what had happened and to draw attention for the movement. And then, so every day we would check it. If it, if the number increased, then our reps would increase. Um, and we're doing the same thing this year. Uh, we were on track in early 2020 to be like 20 or 30 higher than the opening number for last year. And, and wow. somehow, some way, whether it's just the delay in validating, whether it's the underreporting, which the Behavioral Health Alliance estimates is like 50% underreported. Whatever the case is, we started a little bit lower than last year, uh, but we are seeing a pretty steady increase now as the validation process continues. So every day we're doing it. We're trying to get as many people involved as possible. Uh, one of my other podcast hosts has her entire gym doing it, which is just phenomenal. I mean, every day, that, and they've all committed insanely to doing burpees every single day, regardless of the number. So they're doing 112 and now 114 burpees every single day, which is just crazy. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> unconscionable. Uh, and so it's really starting to grow and it's something we're very proud of. We're very passionate about. Um, you know, it's difficult for us at times. We kind of got into a, a spot during the first one. We were, we were really happy about it and we we're really proud of what we were doing. And then we look back and we realize that we we're really happy and proud about essentially promoting that we're killing ourselves. And uh, we were finding joy in publishing numbers of people that had committed suicide, but we were finding joy because of what we were trying to do from it. So it was a weird, it was a very strange kind of moment we paused in. But yeah. when we started getting stories back from people about, hey, I, I uh, was feeling pretty down on myself and I saw what you guys were doing and I tried, you know, 11 miles on the bike, 11.6 miles on the bike and felt a little bit better. So I kept it up and now I feel pretty good even that small little indicator of success was enough to keep us going. And so, like, like I said, we're doing it again this year, we're doing spring for change again this year, which is, like you said, a totally different, uh, totally different thing, but rooted in the same measure. Mm -hmm. um, and we're really happy and we're really hoping that over the next few years, it, they both grow to be something really substantial and really impactful. Cool. That's great, man. I mean, it's just awesome to hear that you guys are doing this and, you know, you're really pushing forward with it. Obviously, like I said before, this podcast will be going out in January 2021, so we'll be looking ahead for Spring for Change. So how's Spring for Change different, and what have you guys got planned around that, Chris? So when we are in December, uh, we both had the thought of, like, this is awesome. People are doing stuff. People are reaching out. People are engaged and responding, and we're having a great time doing this. Like I said, that was the kind of the weird trap we were in. Uh, but then we realized that awareness campaigns while engaging are relatively limited in their actual tangible impact with future, future action past that month or past that campaign. 
And so we started Spring for Change, which runs in April, with the thought that the momentum we started in December and the people we got engaged in December would then help us out in spring. And this came from one of the misconceptions early on in Devote December. We had always thought that December and the winter months were the highest months for rate of suicide. Mm -hmm. And we found out quickly that that's actually false and that the spring months are actually the highest rates of suicide. And there's a bunch of, I shouldn't say the bunch, there's a handful of theories why, um, but for general population, it just falls in like March, April, May, that these things really, really spike. And then they kind of come down to a coasting level. And that's what we see through December. Uh, so with that, we, we developed Spring for Change, hoping that the people from Devote December would help us out in spring when it actually mattered, mattered more statistically. And then we would educate in Spring for Change more than just get people moving. And so what we came up with was the four pillars of wellness, the four pillars of spring for change, which is sleep, nutrition, mindfulness, and fitness. And each week we invited people that were basically professionals and specialists in those areas and did a week long seminar on each and every topic. And it was a very informal seminar. It was just on Instagram and Facebook where basically we would ask uh, four people we know that are professionals in the area of sleep study can you give us something? Can you give us a blog? Can you give us a video? Can we interview you? And we tried to post something almost every single day from a specialist in that area. And the same thing for nutrition and mindfulness and stress reduction. And then Annette and I did a bulk of the work on the fitness, but we also had a couple other tactical athlete practitioners in to talk about fitness and its impacts on mental health and everything. And that was uh, much more fulfilling for Annette and I in terms of production, because we got to actually put out information put out things that can solve the issue, not just draw mm -hmm. attention to the issue. But it was also very difficult because there was a very, very limited engagement in it because we weren't asking for it. We weren't asking for people to post how you're being mindful for the day or post your nutrition, post your workout, as opposed to devote December, where it was like, post your pull-ups, post your push-ups, show us what you're doing, get involved and be part of the community. So it really felt like by like the second or third week that we were just putting stuff out into the void and we had no clue if it was helping. We had no clue if it was landing. We knew it was appropriate, but we didn't know if we were approaching it the right direction to appeal to our own peers, you know? Um, so it was really, really difficult for us to, to kind of feel like we were doing a good job. But we had to refocus. And what we published, I think we did a video on it and also a blog on it was Spring for Change may not be used immediately. It may not be like, Hey, okay, they told me how to do this mindfulness routine and what these foods to eat and this program to try for fitness. All those things are happening tomorrow and I'm going to be better magically. We, we started advertising it and pushing it as like, this is purely a database. This is just a cache of stuff. And if you feel like you need it now, then use some of it now. If you feel like 10 years from now, you remember that we did something you might be interested in, look back on it. If you know somebody that might need it, but not right now, but right now isn't the right time to give them all the information, then sit on it and give it to them when you think it's appropriate. And uh, having that mentality really changed everything for us. It made it a lot easier to keep putting stuff out because we weren't worried about immediate feedback. Um, and the stuff we put out was just a lot. We put out a lot of stuff in that those four weeks and it was awesome, very challenging, but that's something that we're definitely going to do it again this year. And we're going to look at maybe a different way to do it, um, maybe more focused presentations on it. It'll still be free. Uh, it's still going to be as much as we can put out to help people as much as possible. Uh, but we might focus our efforts a little bit more so we can send out like 
and this is just ideas. We can just send out like, hey, uh, this date and this time, we're going to be giving this presentation <laughs> and have it be a very focused thing instead of just kind of throwing stuff out there and hoping somebody grabs onto it. Um, all those resources are still available. They're available on the on my page at Forshift Fitness, on Nets page at Fire Rescue Fitness, and then we're going to backload them when it gets closer. We're going to backload them onto a Spring for Change page we're going to make. Uh, but right now they're kind of spread out because last year we didn't have the centralized pages for those. But that's another change is now Devote December and Spring for Change are going to share that common space so everything we put out can be housed there and we can just point people back to it for as long as social media is around you know we can refer back people back to it we have our youtube pages running and it can really be that resource that we're we aim to make it to help people out when they need it that's awesome i mean that's just incredible chris the fact that you guys have both you know with devote december helped to you know create awareness and draw people's attention to it but then also the spring for change stuff providing you know people out there who may be struggling with information and tools that they can start to implement and you know try and improve their situations as well. So you mentioned there briefly about like the social media side of things as well. Like how can people, you know, find out more information about this? On Instagram's our primary platform is just much easier to work with. Uh, the groups are much easier to work with so far. So right now it's at devote December, all one word. Uh, and that's going to give you everything that gets tagged with devote December. It gives you the daily updates uh, that we're putting out every day. And you can use the hashtag devote December. And then the spring for change, what we're going to try to do is kind of like what Sorenex does with Squattober and December and all their campaigns is just take that Devote December page, rename it spring for change, and then start using it with that. And then everything will be housed there as well. So it's just going to be this giant, giant timeline and resource for people uh, going forward. So yeah, as, as we transition out of December, sometime in, in February or March, we'll switch it over to spring for change. And then the name is is kind of the play on words. It's spring and then the number four and then change. So the four is also not only the month, but the four pillars of wellness that we came up with, the sleep, nutrition, mindfulness, and fitness. Uh, so that's where we'll house everything. It'll be on Facebook also. And then everything we upload to YouTube will likely go to our individual pages, but we'll, we'll double post it so it's in both spots. But that's Instagram looks like it's going to be the primary platform for spring for changes here as well. That's awesome, dude. And I'll make sure I'll link those into our show notes as well so anyone looking can quickly find them. Um, Chris, as I say, it's been great chatting to you and just like what I've seen of your own stuff on your podcast and the information you're putting out there, it's really great for developing people and just really good for like my own development as well to see some other stuff there. Uh, one thing I always ask every guest who comes on the show is, you know, what they do for their own development and, you know, education. So on that, could you just uh, give us a book, app, a website recommendation you've personally found useful for your own development or your own education? Yeah, I actually have, man, the strange times of this year. I have so many books that I started buying with the anticipation of having time to read them this year as kind of yeah. everything shut down. And uh, I have not dug into many of them at all. And so it's, it's, it's my own fault, obviously, but I still have, and I'm really looking forward to it. I still have Brett Bartholomew's book sitting there. Um, conscious coaching and I can't wait to get into that because I referenced it a handful of times for his different uh, profiles on on personalities and it's been fantastic so I'm really looking forward to actually getting into that one and uh, seeing what it has because I, I only hear great things about it he tells, mm -hmm. he puts up a ton of social media content too where he goes into his principles and his teachings and it's always it's always just spot on so I'm really excited to actually open that one up and get into it uh, my brother gave me this one when I got promoted and it came from one of our mentors at the fire, the fire department. It's called servant leadership. 
uh, A Journey into the Nature of Legitimate Power and Greatness. And it's by Robert K. Greenleaf. And it's about halfway, I'm about halfway through it now. And it's a little difficult to read for me. He, he writes in a very, um, it just feels like old the way he writes his sentences. His sentence structure is a little bit tricky to get a grasp on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes you reread it frequently to get what he's saying, which is good, but also takes a long time to get through it. Uh, but I also found out that I highlight probably eight to 10 lines per, per page. You know, it's just, it's just packed with all kinds of theories and philosophies and examples on servant leadership. And it's, I'm really enjoying it now. It's, it's when you can get through it, it's fantastic. So I, that's one I'm really appreciating is the servant leadership book. Nice one. And that was by Robert K. You say Greenleaf. Greenleaf, G-R-E-E-N-L-E-A-F, like leaf on a tree. Okay, okay, perfect. Thanks for confirming that, dude. Excellent. I'll make sure I pop all those into our show notes, dude. Cool. Honestly, Chris, as I said before, thank you very much for giving up uh, time in your schedule. I know you've got a busy, uh, busy work life balance going on and then you've got your young kids as well. Um, if anyone's listening to this, you know, either wants to reach out and get in touch with you, find out a bit more about what you're doing in that as well. How can they do that, Chris? Just like uh, everybody now, I think social media is the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, all my social medias, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, is at Fourth Shift Fitness. It's another play on words. It's number four, T H, Shift Fitness. My email is Fourth Shift Fit. So that's number four, T H Shift Fit at gmail.com. Um, and then my podcast is Tailboard Talk, a Fourth Shift Fitcast. Just more plays on words, just play on podcasts. And just have a propensity for those things, I guess. Uh, but yeah, those are the best ways to get a hold of me and check out kind of what I'm doing. Uh, stay current with with everything that's happening. That is awesome. I mean, thank you, Chris, so much. It's been a really good, insightful uh, episode here. I've made a ton of notes. I think anyone listening is going to take a lot away from this, even if it's something from like the incentive-based fitness program you guys run and something they can implement in their own departments, you know, the use of submax training. And obviously drawing uh, and shining a light on you know mental health and stuff within the fire department with regards to devote december and spring for change so thank you very much chris it's it's been awesome to chat to you bud hey man thank you i really appreciate it and uh, i appreciate us spanning so many topics that usually it's one topic and one and done but uh, i appreciate you digging in and and uh letting us talk a little bit so that was pretty cool no problem chris anyway bud take care and i'll speak to you soon buddy all right man you too see ya Hi guys, really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarchy and Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. The continued support in us can ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.